Welcome to the I Believe Podcast, an Acure Insight production, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. I'm your host, Danae Peterson, a fellow ocular melanoma survivor. Here on the podcast, we'll be sharing information and insights on treatments, research, and living with ocular melanoma. Castle Biosciences is a proud sponsor of this I Believe podcast. Castle Biosciences tests are designed to provide clinicians precise and personalized tumor information for the benefit of patient care. If you would like more information about how Castle is transforming the treatment of eye cancer, visit castletestinfo.com. Welcome to the I Believe podcast. We are having a little bit of a surprise um, panelist interview. I had organized this interview and then I kind of just, my fault, I didn't post about it in advance. So if you're coming across this video live and you are just now seeing it and you're a little taken aback that we have a live today, just know that we're all kind of just doing this off the cuff. So um, thank you guys for being here. I have with me Kenny and Presley and Yvonne and they are here with us for a rare disease panel. Um, right now they're muted because we wanna keep the keep the sound clean, but they're gonna introduce themselves briefly as we get started. Um, and so, oh, okay, there we go. Um, so I have these guys with me for a couple of reasons. Number one, these kinds of panelist interviews, I did one of these in the I Believe um, seminar and it was such a unique experience, I think, for all of the patients who were part of the panel interview and also um, for the people listening because it gave so many different perspectives in just a short amount of time. So that's our goal today is to give you guys um, a short amount uh, of time to listen, but also like give you some diverse perspectives of, you know, how did people um, approach their diagnosis? How have they navigated it? Um, and how have Kenny, Yvonne, and Presley, you know, navigated this in their own ways? Um, the other thing that we're really focusing on this month is Rare Disease Day is on February 28th. So Rare Disease Day was actually, I think, started online as a day um, of kind of awareness for rare diseases in the um, the National Organization for Rare Disorders, so the NORD, uh, which we are partnered with NORD in some way because they actually host our registry. So if you're not familiar with the Insight Registry, you can go and join that registry and you can um, add in your personal information, your personal history about ocular melanoma, and it allows you to be a part of this global registry that we now have. Um, but NORD helps to host that. So we're very um, we're very well connected with NORD and we are just a part of their rare disease movement this month, uh, which is to show your stripes for um, for rare diseases, which we all know that we have a rare disease having ocular melanoma. And so I have Kenny and Yvonne and Presley here with me to kind of represent some different areas of our community where there are still rare pockets of people, people who it's not common to have ocular melanoma. You know, if you're 30s, like in your young, you're a young adult. Um, it's not common to get ocular melanoma if you're a part of the African American, uh, African American, or even some of the other like Latino or Asian communities. Like some of these other demographic, like molds that we don't, we don't all fit the same way. Um, and then Presley is someone who was diagnosed when he was a young teenager. Um, so children in our community are also kind of the rare among the rare. So thanks you guys for being here with me. Um, Kenny, do you want to go ahead and just briefly tell us, you know very like succinctly tell us your story, where you're from and what led to your diagnosis. Absolutely. And I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you all. And so my name is Kenny Rains. I'm from Hot Springs, Arkansas. And, uh, I was diagnosed, um, whenever I was 29, I'm 30 now. 
And so what led to me figuring out that something was wrong was that my right eye started to go a little bit blurry. Now, uh, one interesting thing about me as well is I'm an engineer and I work in the precision optics field. And so I had customers at the job at the time that I was working who actually made fundus cameras and, and various different technologies that image your eye. And so I actually had a little bit of experience at looking at tumors in somebody's eye. And so uh, noticed that my eye was going more and more blurry, just thought that I was having a prescription change in my eye, go to the, to the optometrist. And, uh, you know, they <clears throat> uh, just would try to give me a different prescription. This went on for a couple months, and I was just like, man, this is, this is not getting any better. And uh, what happened is I had a little square grid at work, and I looked at it, and I noted that the squares were distorted. And I was like, oh, that's bad. That That's not blurry. And so then I went to an ophthalmologist, and uh, they they took a picture with a fundus camera. And you know, as soon as I saw the image, I was like, that's not good. And so they very quickly, uh, that is the thing I will say that is good about um, ocular melanoma is doctors take it extremely serious whenever they even think there's a chance at it. And they tend to escalate it extremely quickly. At least that was the case for me. And so, you know, I was originally diagnosed on August 31st. And I was having uh, radiation plaque therapy um, by the end of September. And so I did that up at Mayo Clinic. And um, that was, uh, for me at least, I, I've heard various accounts from different people. That was extremely brutal for me. Uh, I, I think one thing that's probably not um, talked about enough is the mental aspect of this disease of going through the various treatments and you know um, one thing that that people don't know about me and I don't readily disclose um, for professional reasons is that I'm bipolar and so um, this had a tremendous impact on my mental health I'd be happy to go more in depth on that in hopes that people that struggle with various um, mental diagnoses um, can know that, you know, I, I want to try to be an example of somebody who has wrestled with that, has wrestled with various other things. Um, but at the same time, you can still make a good life for yourself. You don't have to give in to this diagnosis or whatever other diagnosis that you're currently dealing with. Everybody is, is wrestling with something. And um, some of us do better jobs than others of, of putting that behind a mask. And so I want to, in this interview, try to take off that mask and show what's really going on behind the scenes, what's going on behind um, my eyes. And, and um, yeah, so that's kind of a brief overview of me, my diagnosis, my story. And so with that, I'll pass it back to you, Danette. All right. Thank you. Um, so that was wonderful. And I love what you said. And, you know, we will focus in a little bit more um, specifically with the questions we're going to go through on, you know, the mental aspect of this and how you navigated your mental health individually. Um, and I think in different phases, because I think, you know, even like we, we all are <laughs> going to experience different things at different times. Um, so Presley, tell us briefly um, just where you're from and your diagnosis story just kind of, you know, succinct. 
So, my name is Presley Jackson. I'm originally from Grays Lake, Illinois. I now live in Woodruff, South Carolina. And I was diagnosed when I was 13 in 2018. And it was, we were in Illinois for Thanksgiving, and my mom and my family members started to notice my right eye starting to drift a little bit. It had been like a lazy eye. So, she set up a doctor's appointment, and the last week of November, I went to the doctor's appointment, and they found something in my eye, and not even a week later, I was in Philadelphia receiving treatment at the Will's Eye Hospital in Philadelphia. I had a total of three surgeries in 10 days. I did the plaques radiation for a week, and I go every four months doctor's appointments to keep checking on it. Thankfully, it's regressed nearly 85%, and it's getting better every time. But that's the brief story of my diagnosis. Thank you, Presley. Um, and, and I know like we've, we've gone a little bit more in depth with your story in previous episodes and same with Kenny's as well. So if you guys want to listen to really just in depth, um, kind of the nitty gritty details of their stories, then they are in previous podcast episodes. Um, and Yvonne, we'll have to have you come back so you can give some more of the nitty gritty of yours. But for now, um, Yvonne, do you want to just tell us briefly where you're from and what led to your diagnosis? Sure. Thanks for having me. I'm Yvonne Loggins Coleman. I'm originally from Sixburg. That's Pittsburgh. We won six Super Bowls, I'm just saying. But I live in Orlando, Florida now. Um, 2020 was the year of pandemic, but it was also the year that I was diagnosed with uveal melanoma. I had no symptoms. I went to a regular visit at my optometrist. He sent me to an ophthalmologist because he said he saw a freckle. And from there, um, I was told I needed to see an ocular oncologist, which for me, I was 67 at the time. I had never been in a hospital except for when I was born. Um, always believed in taking natural remedies, no medicines, no surgeries. And so that was, um, that was, that was quite a bit for me to absorb at that time. Um, I also had to go to Miami, and in 2020, Miami was one of the places where, you know, they said, well, with the pandemic, you have to be very careful, but I had an excellent doctor there. I was diagnosed um, with the uveal melanoma, and um, I had laser surgery, which I'm coming to find um, is not as common. Uh, it was small enough where they were able to do laser, and um, I also tested, um, when they did the biopsy, uh, class two. Um, I also come to find out um, that uh, I'm African American. That is very rare. Um, about 0.3 percent of African Americans are diagnosed. So that was something else that um, was on my mind. Um, that is just so different. One of the things that I was told not to do, and I think all of us have been told this, is don't go onto the internet and start looking up things. And of course. Um, that's exactly what I did, but I am thankful that I met a girl in um, Lauren in uh, Dr. Murray's office who invited me to the support group, and um, I was able to get a lot of information there. I was also, since I had no meds, able to go into a clinical trial with Dr. Sato at uh, Thomas Jefferson, and um, I stayed in the clinical trial for one year. And I won't go into all the other details about the side effects. I'm sure you're going to be covering that a little bit later on, but I was able to get into the clinical trial. And I am now out of that trial, but still being monitored. Well, thank you, Yvonne. Um, I actually had no idea that you'd been treated with laser. And I'm, I'm going to just venture a guess. Were you treated by Dr. Murray? 
Uh, Dr. Murray, yes, correct. Yes, yeah, because we had Dr. Murray do a podcast episode uh, over the summer, and he talked specifically about laser for small tumors um, and how that really can be very beneficial, very effective, as long as you know the size, the location, and kind of all of the factors meet together to make uh, make this a good a good fit for laser treatment. Um, so let's, let's just kind of just, just so that we can get a picture of, of where everybody's at. Um, let's run through real quick and just give a, give a description, I guess, of what's your current vision like. Um, so Kenny, what is your current vision like? Sure. So my current vision in my right eye, I, they were able to save a very small amount of peripheral vision. The tumor for me was located, um, in the macula originally and grew very close to the fovea and so the radiation plaque itself basically blasted all of that on top of what damage the tumor had already done and so i really could not function uh, on a day-to-day basis if i only had vision in the right eye but with both eyes open um it's it's very uh it's incredible how your brain adapts you know, I was right eye dominant my whole life. And within about two weeks, my body switched over to becoming left eye dominant. And so when I have both eyes open, um, I, I have almost a full field of view. Now, with that said, I do uh, run into people or come very close to running into people with the right eye at Walmart with the grocery cart. If I'm not being careful, you know, you got to watch out if you see me. So, you know, it, it's it's pretty good, though. Honestly, I, I think there's certainly people uh, that, that struggle worse than what I do. The depth perception can be off a little bit whenever you're close in on things. You know, that's that's one thing that we all, uh, I think, wrestle with if you've had uh, damaged vision in one eye. But overall, about the only thing that I'm not able to do right now that I could do before is uh, shooting a gun with my right eye. I have, have to learn how to shoot left hand, left eye. Um, so hunting is uh, a little bit more difficult now, but we're, we're going to work on that. Yeah. A little bit out of the question. <laughs> a little, little challenging right now. All right. So Presley, um, Presley, what about you? Where are you at as far as your current vision? You're, what are you, five, six? I can't even do the math. You're at least five years, right? So very, so very similar to him, my right eye was my dominant eye. And now it's very blurry and I have nothing but peripheral vision. And now my left eye is dominant. So when both eyes are open, I have a full plane of vision and it works. And when I close my left eye or right eye, it's, <laughs> it's not really, it's not good. Because I can't yeah. either see to the right or can't see at all. And then like he said, I do struggle with depth of field and going to reach for something and then being like an inch or two short. I've struggled with that. Though I have been getting better through practice, through baseball and everything like that. Yeah, we're going to talk more about that. So hold on to that thought about baseball. Um, Yvonne, what about you? You had laser. You had a pretty small tumor. Right. Mine was in my left eye. So I continued to go for um, injections every six to eight weeks. Um, I also have a cataract. And within the last, say, three months, the cataract has really gotten bad. So the vision in my left eye is very blurry. Um, and the vision in my right eye is starting to go a little because there's a cataract there too. So I'm going to have that cataract removed soon in my left eye as soon as Dr. Mary, you know, says it's a go. 
and I do have problems with um, driving at night. I'm very active in the community, and that has really slowed me down from being able to go places um, when it gets around dawn and um, dust, dust or dawn. <laughs> and, yeah, both. Um, and uh, it's, it's, uh, the lights bother my eyes quite a bit. No, I think I, I think we all definitely deal with you know various different levels of vision um, as well as sensitivity to different things. Uh, I think I think it's it's important to give kind of a broad scope of like okay, like everybody really experiences vision loss or vision change in different ways. Um, so thank you guys for sharing that. Um, so Kenny, you kind of hinted a little bit about this, uh, but has your diagnosis kept you? You know, just to kind of reiterate, has your diagnosis you feel like kept you from doing anything in life? Um, could be, I mean, not, not just like physically doing anything in life, but I mean, you know, feel free, feel free to kind of elaborate a little on that. Sure. I think everybody, when you first get this diagnosis, you know, the, the initial thought and what typically brings us to the table here is something's going wrong with our eye, right? So you're either losing vision, there's notable side effects that other people can see, right? And so all the initial thought is, is okay, well, it's, it's an eye. And, and for me, actually, my biggest fear growing up was going blind more than even like dying. <laughs> so uh, th this really uh, hit hard for me. But then you go and you go down the rabbit hole of the internet and you start seeing some of the statistics in regards to how it spreads and mets. And um, then that starts to make you think a little bit further from the eye and more about your entire body. And what does this mean for my life? How long is my life going to be? And that can really be uh, dangerous, right? And um, for you mentally, emotionally, and how you deal with that. And I think you do an incredible job of documenting the real journey and showing um, the good and the bad. And you know, I, I think that for me, my approach to this has been, I think it can be a, a blessing in that um, when you realize that we are all mortal, that we all have a time that we start and we all have a time that we'll finish and nobody knows what that finish point will be. It could be from ocular melanoma. It could be from getting hit by a car. We don't know that. But at the same time, when you do think about that and this disease does force you to come to the table with those thoughts it can be a blessing in that it allows you to really um, take advantage of the time that you have today take advantage of the love that you have in your life today how can you spread that love yourself and so for me i have a two and a half year old son named zane and so trying to be the best dad that i can be uh, for him on a day-to-day -day basis. Also trying to think in regards to what's the legacy I want to leave behind for him, for anybody else. And for me, I really enjoy teaching. I enjoy um, talking about various things, doing podcasts like this and, and trying to uh, put myself out there in a format that my son can enjoy later on, whether I'm here or not, because hopefully I do go before him. You know, I, I couldn't imagine the tragedy of losing a child. And so that's, that's a reality I've had to deal with. I've lost my father and so wish that I had more of him left here. And so trying to leave more uh, breadcrumbs for, for my son and whoever else is interested. So that's, that's what it really has uh, allowed me to do. Kenny, I feel like that's, that's super powerful. Thank you. And I feel like you kind of hit two of our questions kind of simultaneously. So if um, Presley and Yvonne, if you guys want to do the same, it's kind of, okay, what, are, what have you been challenged by or what have you been kept 
from doing like, and then also, you know, what, what's some of the good that's come despite all of this? Um, let's kind of like hit a little bit of both. So, um, Presley, before I have you answer that question, I have kind of a unique question for okay. you. Cause I know, um, just from knowing your history, um, I know when you were initially diagnosed, you didn't know you had ocular melanoma. It's it's only been in what the last year and a half, maybe, that you've actually known about your diagnosis. Oh, yeah, two years. Cause I think it's been. Yeah. Okay, so I guess as we talk about you know what your diagnosis has kept you from doing or what's been challenging for you, um, maybe talk a little bit about how challenging it was or or wasn't to not know for a while like exactly what was going on when you'd have all these you know quarterly doctor's appointments and surgeries and different things like that. So I'll, I'll start with that. I feel like not knowing was more of a blessing. So then I couldn't go to the internet or go looking and searching for what could go possibly wrong. So I feel like the protection I felt from not knowing was better than the fact of me knowing because then you know and then you go to the internet, you Google what could happen and you Google where it could spread. And then you go down this rabbit hole and it can be bad mentally and emotionally for you to read that and you know know what the possibilities are and the statistics are so I'm grateful that I wasn't told immediately yeah well and that's such a heavy thing to carry for anyone let alone for a 13 year old um and now I think you're are you 17 or are you 18 now 17 17 you're close to 18 I know it's not close enough (laughs) um but like, I mean, I just, I have to say, like, just in watching what I have seen in the last couple of years, I have really admired the way that you have, um, just the way that you have navigated learning about this, um, uh, yourself you. and learning about, you know, what, what you are diagnosed with and what that means, um, for the history of your life and the ways that you haven't let it hold you back. So I'll let you just kind of keep going on, on a couple of the things that you feel like you've been kept from doing and then any of the good that you feel like has come. Um, so the things I've been kept from doing are not as significant as the things that I've been able to do and the things that have come from this. Like, I struggle with driving. That's one thing I've lost, sadly. And then football. I wasn't allowed to play football because I wasn't allowed to get hit in the head. But those things really pair in comparison to the lessons I've learned and really the door this has opened for me. Since uh, finding out what I've been diagnosed with, I've learned to live every day and make the most of every day. I've learned to chase passions and follow dreams and Go make incredible memories. I did that with the Polaroid Project, and I do that every day, living every day like it's my last and making the most of every minute and every breath I have. So I feel like that lesson and the ability to do that is 10 times better than anything bad that has come from this situation. I love that. Thank you, Presley. That was honestly, I mean, I feel like I'm probably not the only one who feels this. I'm sure your mom listening feels this too, but I feel like you are wise beyond your years for sure. Um, okay. So Yvonne, what about you? Um, what do you feel like has been challenging and what good has come as a result? Well, first of all, I'd just like to say, Kenny, your, your comments, so many of your comments are exactly what I had wanted to mention. They were spot on. And, and Presley, I hold high marks for you and how you're handling this at such a young age. Um, my, my challenges, um, are one with the pandemic and being diagnosed in 2020. I also moved my 90, she'll be 97 on February 28th, rare disease day, but, um, moved her here with us into our home. So that became a big challenge in addition to being diagnosed with this and, and mentally having so many challenges dealing with that. And not having a large support system, I have a lot of friends, know a lot of people, but during that time, it was hard to get people to come here to the home to help me with my mother. 
um, that was one of the most, that is still one of the most challenging things. And I'm former bank executive and a jazz radio personality, so I said I use those talents. I have a multifaceted consulting company now and try to do as much as I can to help other people. And keeping a positive attitude has really helped me continue to move forward. My mother always says, take what the good Lord gives us and just keep on moving and help others. And so through that, I've been able to put my cares aside and try to help other people, um, keeping them uplifted with with positive messages. And uh, Presley and I were talking about this earlier on, to uh, just be positive about life. You know, everybody has something going on. So I try to take the focus off of myself and realize that it could be worse um, and, and try to move forward from there. No, I think that's wise. And I think that can be really helpful. Um, I do want to speak because I know, thankfully, the three of you guys have not experienced metastatic spread and hopefully you guys never will. Um, and that is something that I regret is that I don't currently have someone right here with us right now, I guess, other than myself who has experienced metastatic spread. Um, and so I will say just, and this is, this is not at all to um, lessen any of what you guys have said, but I used to say all the time, like what Kenny used, you know, what you said about how like, you know, I could die from ocular melanoma or I could die from a car crash or, you know, just, I could get hit by a bus or some other tragedy, you know, could happen that would take my life far more quickly than, um, than ocular melanoma. But I do have to say what I have come to realize, I guess, just, just for some, I guess, some other perspective is that while that perspective can help when you are faced with metastatic disease and it has spread, you know, which hopefully it will never do that for you guys. But as we do have plenty of the people in the community who have experienced that or who have um, someone they care for who's experiencing metastatic spread, um, it stops feeling quite as reassuring. <laughs> and I like, I was a little surprised by that. I was like, okay, but like, I could still, you know, I could still get hit by a train or maybe not a train, but you know, I could still get in a car accident. And that really still would probably take my life faster than metastatic spread. But the reality for me and for the people who deal with metastatic spread now is that we no longer have the, like maybe not the luxury, but we just, it's, it's no longer a what if it's kind of more of a matter of when and how, and, and could the, could the car accident still happen? Yes. But like, wouldn't it be nice if that was still the only main issue that I had to deal with? And so I think it's, it's kind of colored it a little bit differently, um, for those in the metastatic community who, you know, yes, you could die from a car accident or something else could totally happen, but the likelihood has now gone far higher for losing your life to ocular melanoma. And that becomes infinitely more scary. Um, so I just want to make sure that I'm like giving some space to that because I have seen that kind of talked about in the metastatic community is like how, how frustrating that can be to see sometimes because, or to have, to have people who don't have ocular melanoma say that to them, like, well, but you know, you could still, you could die some other way. And it's like, well, yes, but like, wouldn't it be nice if that was the only thing I had to worry about? Um, and, and that, that has kind of, I think, colored the perspective a little differently for me. So I just wanted to add that in there. Um, so let's just briefly cover, um, who has been, in this journey, like who or a community of who's <laughs> has been some of the greatest supports for you guys. Um, and I'm going to actually go backwards this time. So Yvonne, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, my family is supportive, um, but I think the people who have been most behind me are the support group. And I thank Lauren for introducing me to a cure in sight. And every Tuesday at seven o'clock, um, we've got our family. 
and some people have Mets, some people don't have Mets, but um, they really understand the journey, um, what we're going through physically and mentally. Um, each time I have to get ready to go for scans, which I have to do in two weeks, you know, the thought is, what is going to be the outcome? Is, is this going to be the day that um, it's going to show up? But uh, it's nice to have that group to, to walk through. And then, of course, my family understands, but they don't understand as much as my support group. No, for sure. And I'm just going to just note what Yvonne is talking about. Um, the Tuesday night support group, if you guys are not familiar, that is our Tuesday night Zoom. Uh, Melody or one of the board from a Kieran site does host that. And there is always someone there to talk to, someone from the community to talk to, someone who is a patient. So it's a peer-to-peer support group um, where you can come and just have an interaction online through Zoom. It was started during the pandemic to be supportive because obviously everything was online. Um, But if you want to join us, that is seven o'clock Eastern time every Tuesday, um, unless otherwise noted. And we say we're not doing it this week. (laughs) Uh, But so feel free to join that um, this coming week if you feel like you need that. Of course, it's Valentine's Day. So I don't know. Some people might, some people might not. We'll see. Um, but thank you, Yvonne, for mentioning that. Presley, um, what about you? Who's been your greatest support so far? So I've been really, really blessed with my situation and my support. My family, my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, my grandparents, everybody's been so incredibly supportive. You, Miss Danette, and everybody at Acure Insight and OM groups, everybody's been so supportive. And my teachers and my coaches at school and baseball and every everybody's just so supportive and the community around me is so supportive. And I think that's the biggest blessing that this has come from is it shows how strong the community is and how incredible everybody around me is. And I'm truly grateful for that. Thank you, Presley. Uh, and your your family is all is all commenting over on Facebook every every time you talk. Like we love you, Presley. Like you you obviously we have we have a huge um, cheering section for you, Presley. They're pretty amazing. Yes, they are. Kenny, what about you? I've got a great family and friends, and, um, you know, I I try to make sure to spend a lot of time with them, and especially my son. You know, I I do also just want to speak to the people in our community uh, that this disease also brings losses of relationships. I actually went through a divorce um, right after my treatment. And so um, that was brutal. That was um, something to where I was happily married for a while. And um, this, this can either cause people to come together or it can split them apart. And so I've experienced, experienced both sides of that. And I just want to say, um, you know, there is, there is still hope for whatever your situation is. Don't give up that hope and try to make sure that you um, have others to cling to, um, even if others will fall away. You'll, you'll see that some people will come out of the woodworks that you never expected to come and support you, and then others may not. And it, it's always a little bit surprising to see who comes to the table and who leaves. No, I think that's powerful. And I do want to just kind of round this out, like to just talk about how everybody's going to have different varying levels of support. Like we have people who have more supportive families or we have, we have patients who maybe they don't tell their family what's going on because their family has other things happening and they feel like it would be too much of a burden for their family to also know they have eye cancer. Um, so just know that, you know, wherever you are on this spectrum of, of having family support, having friends, community support, whether, whether you have that outside of our ocular melanoma community, I hope you guys also know, like just anyone listening, that you guys also have us. 
you have us patients, you have, we, you will always have us like in online communities and, um, getting together in person when we can, like, just, just know that like, we're not going anywhere. (laughs) Unfortunately, we're all part of the club. We never asked to be in. Um, so if for whatever reason you're experiencing things like, like Kenny has, where you're in a, a phase where maybe you are losing relationships, um, or relationships are changing in ways you didn't expect, like, please lean on us, lean on the patients, lean on people like Yvonne and Presley and Kenny, um, And I hope if there's anyone listening who's a parent who has someone um, who is their child with ocular melanoma, like reach out to the other parents, Um, reach out. And like, I know, I know Presley is 100% friendly and he would absolutely love to have another friend like to talk to about ocular melanoma because it is so rare among the child community. Um, So if you have someone, your granddaughter, your, your son, your daughter, um, please, you know, reach out to each other. Let's, let's support each other across, you know, the great divides of the internet (laughs) that we have, or I guess the internet bridges those divides, but you know what I mean? Um, so, okay, let's just, as we, um, as we get towards the end, let's talk a little bit more about, um, how being someone who's a little bit more, like not a little bit, a lot more rare among our community has impacted the way that you advocate for yourself. Um, or the way that you're like, I think, I think Presley, the way that your mom advocates for you and with you. Um, so, uh, Yvonne, do you want to go first and just talk to us about maybe what is different about the ways that you navigate this diagnosis in the medical field and in your doctor's offices, um, just in the community in general that have made this something that you have to really be you know, more intentional about how you advocate for yourself. I think one thing that I have done is, um, especially with African-Americans, is j- just to remind everybody to make sure you get your eyes checked. So many people, you know, don't go regularly. And um, fortunately, you know, mine was caught early. And um, so I, I guess that's that's the best thing that, that I can say to make sure you look out after yourself and look out after others, too. No, I think that's so powerful. Um, and, and I think that's just a testament to who you are too, that, you know, I said, what do you do to advocate for yourself? And you said, well, I make sure that other people get, you know, get taken care of. Um, which is, which is really very, I feel like that's a really powerful thing to do. Um, and that is such an important thing because, you know, you, if, if we're you know honest about it, you didn't have anyone looking out for you. You didn't know that this was a possibility. It was kind of just chance that you were diagnosed when you were, um, not just kind of, it was like, it was absolutely kind of a miraculous chance that, that your tumor was found, that it was small and that, you know, that it was able to be treated so quickly. Um, so I, I love that you have taken that and you've then said, okay, because I didn't have anybody tell me to go in and I just was lucky. I'm going to now tell everybody else. Unmute yourself, Danette. Oh, there you are. <laughs> I know. Mm, thank you. I knew we, we were all going to do it at least once. <laughs> um, I started to mute myself and then I was like, oh yeah, I've got to talk. <laughs> um, but Presley, what, um, what have you had to do to advocate for yourself as you're more familiar with your diagnosis? And what have you noticed your mom does? So very similar. I didn't have anybody saying, hey, you need to check for this eye cancer. You could be aware for that. So now I feel like it's I feel like it's a duty with my platform and being the rare statistic I am a kid spreading awareness through telling people about a cure in sight trying to help funding for anybody with cancer kids with cancer adults with cancer all of it I feel like spreading awareness telling people to get their eyes checked and just spreading and making sure there's as much support as possible for not only ocular melanoma patients and people who have been diagnosed with cancers in the eye but for everybody who's been diagnosed with cancer and I feel like I stand out, so I feel like using my platform will help 
bring more support, bring more supporters, and bring more to the table. I feel like my mom has done an incredible job with that as well, spreading support and awareness. Oh, I love that. And you you guys definitely, the two of you are a powerhouse as far as just, just talking about this openly and, and being willing and open to you know having conversations here on the podcast with other people in your community. Um, so thank you guys for doing that. And I, like, I want to just draw some attention to the fact that like so far, like when I think advocate for myself, I think of how am I talking to the doctors? Do I have to do anything different? But I, I think it's just a testament to the type of people that we have here with us that like all of you guys are saying, I see it as, as a way that I advocate for myself is also to advocate for other people. Um, that's, that's a powerful thing. That's a really, I think that's just, that's, that just is a testament to the type of people that you guys are individually, um, that your desire is to not only, you know, make sure that you get good care, but that other people do too. Um, Kenny, Kenny, unmute. There we go. <laughs> yes. Yep. Sure. So, so I will speak on um, two things. One would be something I wish I would have done. So they actually found a freckle in my right eye in 2017, going to an, uh, an optometrist. Okay. And so I just want to educate people here. Um, optometrists are great, right? Eyeglasses, contacts, they've changed our world. It's, it's absolutely um, mind-blowing how much better you can see if you have a, a proper prescription. That's great. But if you're not getting at least annual images, detailed images of your eye at your optometrist, go get a new one. You need that. Um, also, too, I wish that at that point they would have sent me on to an ophthalmologist who would have then, because at that point we could have saved the vision in my entire right eye, where it was located, how small the freckle was. But they didn't do that. They said, we'll just keep an eye on it. And um, they didn't. And because of my ignorance at the time, I didn't know any better. And so what I want to just say in regards to advocating, you can receive significantly different levels of care based off how much you bark at a doctor. And I have not been good at that. Um, I've actually been dealing uh, with, with doctors in depth since I was 18. I was diagnosed with a very rare liver disease, almost had to have a liver transplant at 20. And so I uh, have been going to Mayo Clinic since I was 20 because I had one doctor who said that basically my life was over. I was at the time playing college football. Um, you know, I've got a few different championship rings and and all these different things and none of that would have happened had i listened to that first doctor so do not ever be afraid to get a second opinion for whatever disease whether it's ocular melanoma uh, whether it's anything else um, go and try to see if somebody else has a different opinion because that first doctor wanted to just cut out a third of my liver and basically throw me in the trash and and that was it and turned out that guy had never seen another person with my disease and just didn't want to admit it and so I went to Mayo Clinic and they fixed me in 30 minutes and I haven't had a problem in eight years, right? And that was, just, that was just from going to a second doctor. So I would just say with this disease or anything else, do not ever be afraid to get a second opinion if you don't like what the first one said. Oh, that's, that's powerful. And, and I, I know I keep saying that, but that really is such an important thing. And I talk to patients online all the time who are like, well, what should I do? What should I do? And my, my main go-to response is almost always, if you're not comfortable with what you're hearing, get another opinion. And that can be so difficult. That can be difficult to approach, especially when, um, when you're dealing with something like this, that does feel like it has 
you know, a heavier timeline on it that you want, you want answers and you want treatment, but you, you know, then there's this level of urgency of, well, if I get another opinion, that means I have to wait. Um, and that can feel really scary, but sometimes that is actually one of the best things you can do for yourself is just get more information, see if the doctor's treatment plans align, um, for whatever it is, it could be for the eye diagnosis for liver metastases, um, wherever you are on the spectrum of, you know, specifically our diagnosis, get another opinion. If you're, if you're not comfortable with the first one, um, even if you've been seeing this doctor on and on for, you know, the entirety of your diagnosis, if something changes and you are not comfortable with this line of care, challenge it. I feel like we as patients, we have to get comfortable challenging kind of what we, I think I, I call it the white coat syndrome, like where we, we kind of feel like, okay, if they're wearing a white coat, they must know better. It's like, well, they might, but that's kind of the, the job of a scientist. The job of a doctor is to question and to be okay to be questioned. Um, and I'll just add real quick, Jenna, I think a good doctor too will actually encourage you to go get a mm-hmm. second opinion and you can always go back to the yeah, first, exactly. right? So take that time and go do it. It's worth yeah, exactly. it. Then I'm so glad that you brought this up because I've also learned to um, be cognizant about the treatment that you're getting, read over the notes, get the report when you mm-hmm. leave, because there was one time that I had to correct my doctor because he's going so fast and seeing so many patients that um, what they were getting ready to do was the complete opposite of what they were supposed to be doing. So, you mm-hmm. know, you, you've, you've got to stay on top of that and, and not be afraid to speak up for yourself and ask questions. Yeah. No, that's such a, that's such an important thing. Um, and I know like Presley, you guys thankfully have had really good care as far as getting your eye treated. Um, but I also know just for any other parents of, um, any children, you know, experiencing metastatic spread, like the, the reality is that advocating for yourself, um, in the clinical trial world, clinical trials don't exist for children with ocular melanoma. They don't exist. And I know that Presley, like your mom has talked to me about that before, about how terrifying that is, that if anything ever changed for you, they don't know what they would do. And nobody, no, I mean, they, they say, okay, we'll, we'll handle it if it comes, but it's like, yeah, but like, could we have an answer on how, like, so, um, have you, have you had to kind of navigate that fear at all yourself? Um, I try to stay away from the fear. I try to think of more positive things like it won't come to that. So I try to stay away from what if it does happen. And I just put my faith and trust in God and the doctors that are around me and hope it doesn't come to that. And we know, at least I know as a mom, I know your mom probably does all that worrying for you. Um, but I also know that she does the same thing. She really tries to just focus on, okay, this is what's here in front of us and we're going to trust in the future. Um, so I love that. Thank you guys. Um, thank you so much for being here. So as we end, just, um, let's just think, Everybody just think of one thing. If you could share one thing with another patient in your shoes who maybe feels a little more um, connected to you for one reason or another, what would you tell them as they're, you know, navigating this diagnosis for the first time? Well, I'll get started then. So I think for me, if there was one takeaway, I'd say, um, you know, just in regards to ocular melanoma or, you know, like I said, I've, I've been a collector of rare diseases since I was 18, a connoisseur, one might say. So, um, I would just say, though, don't let fear keep you in a corner by yourself. It's very easy to want to isolate yourself. And I would say darkness is overwhelming whenever you are alone. 
And I think that the light of others, as you bring them closer to you, will illuminate that darkness. And so I would say, um, try to go out of your way to spend time with friends, to spend time with family, to spend time in our community, whatever it is for you that brings passion into your life. Let this be an opportunity to really go all in on those things versus cowering in the darkness and thinking of the worst case scenarios. I personally try to let that remind me that I should be going and living my life versus waiting for death. No, that's so, that's, that's really, I, I really like that. Um, thank you. That's such a good perspective. Um, Presley, what would you say to someone else who maybe they're, they're a teenager, they're like you? So if I was talking to a teenager, I would tell them, you're not alone in this fight. You have people like me and people like you guys who are there to support them and a community that will help them. And secondly, make sure to live your life. Don't, again, sit and wait for fear. Sit and be upset in the corner. Go live your life and make the most of every moment you have, whether it's your last or whether it's the first of many years to come. Live your life and have an amazing life. Thank you, Presley. Love that. Yvonne, what about you? Ditto to what Kenny and Presley <laughs> said, and also be positive. I have found a way to, uh, when I had my surgery and when they were coming to take me down into the surgery room, I said to the transport, I said, uh, I don't want you running into anything. I have good accident attorneys, and he was laughing. And when we got into the surgery room, um, people were coming around introducing themselves to me, and I said, well, I'm here for my spa treatment. <laughs> Now, I would like to have some eyebrows and some lashes, but don't make me look like a drag queen. <laughs> so through the whole thing, I have found to um, try to uplift the people that are helping you. Um, during my surgery, the laser went out twice. So I'm laying there <laughs> wide awake and hearing, and I said, okay, God, you're going to have to help a sister out on this one. But um, I, I tried to remain lighthearted through all of that. And when they got done, they said, how are you able to, to just have so much fun with us? And I said, well, I appreciate what you're doing for me, but it's, it's just God coming through, and, and, and we got through it. So all along the way, I have so many other stories that people said, wow, you really made me feel good. I was afraid, and here you have us laughing. Even Dr. Sato, I had him laughing at something. So um, I thank the people who are helping me on the journey, and I, I think that's what helped get me through. No, I love that. Thank you. Um, and I think that's, that's such a good point too. It's kind of like that, that, uh, that adage that says, you know, okay, like you can either laugh or you can cry in the situation. Like, yes, we're still going to cry. Sometimes we still have days that we're down, but the majority of the time, if we can, you know, let's pick ourselves up. Let's find things to laugh about. Let's be present. Let's find the joy. Um, and I love what you said, Kenny. So I guess just to end, like, I'm going to be cheesy because y'all know I love Harry Potter. Um, and I have a quote on my, my wall up here and it just says, happiness can be found in the darkest of times if we only remember to turn on the light. And I love what Kenny said about how sometimes the light is just bringing other people into your life and allowing them to kind of hold the candle um, and just kind of crawl in the dark hole with you and be there with you and bring the light that they carry. So um, thank you guys for being here. Thank you for listening. If you guys have been listening live and we will see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us today on the I Believe podcast brought to you by Castle Biosciences 
please be sure to subscribe. And if you're so inclined, send this episode over to friends, family, and share on your social media to help spread awareness around OM. If you have a moment, leave us a brief review or consider making a donation to the links in the show notes to keep our podcast going. Feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Acure Insight. We'll see you next time on the I Believe podcast.